You guys ready for the word this morning? First off, uh, before we get started, if it's your first time here this morning, we just want to say welcome. Glad you're here. Thanks for coming. Um, we have uh, new visitors cards at the front. If you didn't give one, we'd love it if you could fill it out. Um, if you don't give me your phone number, I have no way to prank phone call you. So you have to <laughs> give it to me. So I can, hallelujah. Now, we would appreciate it if you'd fill it out. And uh, uh, Otherwise, like I said, thank you for coming. We're glad to have you here. Hallelujah. Well, this morning... Uh, over the next couple of weeks, actually, and maybe even, so I'll be preaching today and next Sunday, then Pastor Joseph will preach, and then I'll, I'll kick up again. And I think I'm going to preach on uh, some of the, the mighty characters in the Bible. And what I mean by that is, is, you know, people like the mighty Samson or the mighty Gideon. These are, these are people, uh, I want to talk about David probably. These are, these are people that God has used mightily in the Bible. And the thing about the, the reason why I want to look at them is that we look at these and we know the great things that they did, the awesome stuff that they did, and we're like, man, these were such awesome men and women of God. Like, how can I ever be like them? How can I ever look like them? I mean, they just they seem like they're so far ahead of of me spiritually. Like, I don't even know how I can compare. But the reality is, is they're people just like you and me. These these mighty men and women of God, they're they're just like us. And in addition to their successes, the Bible actually records a lot of their failures. Anybody here ever failed? You're in good company. Amen? That doesn't mean God can't use you. So let's go ahead and bow our head as we come to the Word this morning. Father, we just thank you for your great love that you have for us. Father, I thank you that we have the opportunity to spend time in your word. We have the opportunity to learn about who you are and and really to learn about who we are in you. And Father, I thank you this morning that our eyes would be opened, our hearts would be opened to receive what you have for us, that it would challenge us, that it would convict us. And Father, as a result, we're going to grow and mature in you. And we thank you for, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Like I said today, we're going to go ahead and start with a, a quick look at Samson because he's, he's an interesting character because he has got some of the highest highs and some of the lowest lows out of every major Bible character that, that we read about. And the thing about Samson is, is he was a, a judge in, the time, in Israel uh, in the days of the Philistines. And there was actually, uh, the Philistines were still around because how many know that when the, the Israelites went into the promised land, they didn't take over everything they were supposed to take care of. They, they left some people in place when they should have went and occupied the land. And the Philistines are one of those. You can actually read about that in Joshua 13, 1 through 2, if you're so inclined. But it talks about the Philistines weren't, weren't pushed out like they should have been. So they're still there. They're chilling. And we find out that every person that the Israelites didn't remove when God told them to end up becoming, as the Bible puts it, as thorns in their sides. So what happens with the Philistines, there's actually a 40-year period of Philistine oppression over Israel. And Samson was a judge over Israel over 20 of these 40 years. And during this period, it's actually rather interesting because Israel's been completely disarmed by them. You can read about that in 1 Samuel 13, 19 through 23. And that's where it talks about they didn't have any weapons, so they took all of their, their, their pitchforks and their hoes, all their, their farming equipment, and they sharpened them to be weapons because they had been completely disarmed. And apparently the Philistines weren't very concerned with their rebellion, and I guess you wouldn't be. You know, that's uh, one of the things that... Uh, uh, I think is so important for Americans uh, with the Second Amendment. Most people think that the Second Amendment is so we can have hunting rivals. It's not. It's actually defend ourselves from a tyrannical government. Because what happens is when your weapons are taken away, you can't stand up. You can't fight back. And, and that's what happened here. All their weapons have been taken away. And, and they were basically uh, uh, 
they weren't concerned about him. They knew they didn't have anything to rise up against him. And the interesting part of this story, what I find uh, actually pretty compelling, and and I, I don't understand what happened, but did you know that the Israelites never actually asked God for freedom from the Philistines? It seemed like they were kind of okay with the status quo. Philistines were oppressing them. They were taking over them. They were, they were pushing down on them. And, and they, they, they were just going along with it. They were just kind of cool with it. They got accustomed to the bondage. That's a dangerous place to be. And I think if we're all not careful, we all slip into that, that position every now and then. We become accustomed with the bondage. We become accustomed with the oppression. But God, how I many of God loves you? Even when you're doing stupid even when you're not living the way that He wants you to live. And I don't, I don't even mean about living in sin. Sometimes you have stuff going on in your life that's pushing you down and you just, you're so tired, you're so worn out, you just have become used to it. You're not pressing back anymore. But God sees that and He still doesn't want that for your life. So God has a plan in Samson to free them from the Philistines even though they didn't ask for it. And I think it's a good idea to look at these characters, particularly like I said, Samson today, because it's all too easy to fall into the mindset that we're not good enough to be used by God. Anybody ever felt like they're not good enough to be used by God? I've certainly felt that way before. Particularly right after you mess up, you wonder, what is God even doing with me? But the thing is, is that, or, or maybe has anybody ever said that, thought that, you know, once I felt like I was good enough to be used by God, but not anymore. I've done something that's disqualified me. But not only can we still be used by God, even in our failures, even if we've messed up. How many know that when you mess up, it's not the end, as long as you get back up? You can still be used by God. And matter of fact, He still has a plan for your life. You didn't mess up bad enough to disqualify yourself from God wanting to use you. And the reality is, is that we never want to let our own perceived failure, or really even our own perceived greatness, sometimes that gets in the people and in, in, in the way of people from serving God, but we don't want to let our own perceived failures let us disqualify ourselves from what God wants to do in us and through us. Amen? This is what God told Jeremiah, and I've always loved this verse, Jeremiah 1.5. He says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nation." To the nations. You see, God knew who Jeremiah was before Jeremiah was ever born, and he had a plan for him. How many of you know that Jeremiah is no different than every single person in this room? God knew you before you were born, before you were even a, a glimmer in anybody's eye. God knew who you were. He had a plan for you. He had a purpose for you. And the question is, are you living it out? Or are you just okay with the status quo? God has a plan for your life. Let's go ahead and take a look at, at, at how this plays out in Samson's life. Judges 13, 2-5 says, There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink. Eat nothing unclean, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. They hadn't even asked to be saved from the hand of the Philistines. God, God loved them so much. He said, you know what? I'm going to make sure you're taken care of. I've got a plan in place. I got somebody. And, and it's interesting when you read this story, it's obvious they have no idea who came and stopped and knocked on their door. 
They had no idea who showed up on their doorstep. And it actually takes them the entire rest of the first chapter to realize who's talking to them. It's actually funny to me. But you'll notice that we have a little bit of hindsight when we're reading the story. We, we, can, we can gleam a couple things. And when we look at it here, we say that it's, it's an angel of the Lord. Two times, uh, there's two ways that the, the angels that come from God are referred to. There's an angel, an angel, or sorry, uh, an angel of the Lord, or the angel of the Lord. It's either an angel, which means just one of his angels. It could be any, any one of the multitude he has. But when it says the angel of the Lord, it's specific. We also have another clue because it says the angel of the Lord is in capital letters, L-O-R-D. So, what that means is it's actually a translation from the Hebrew word Yahweh. And it's specifically talking about this is, this is not any angel of the Lord. This isn't just one of his messengers. This is God manifesting as his angel in front of these people. God came and spoke to them personally and says, I got a plan for you. And they react how most biblical characters react when God shows up in their life. And truthfully, I think more of us should act like this as well. But they get scared. This guy here, this man of Zora, he gets a little nervous. He says, we're going to die. We've been in the presence of the Lord. We're going to die. You know, that's one thing that people back then had that we don't have right now is they have a respect for the presence of God or who God actually is. You know, the Bible says that he's our friend. I mean, that's an amazing thing. We can speak to him face to face. But you know what else he still is? Your Lord. And we have to, to, I think sometimes we need to have that reverence and respect. But they, they got this. God just came down and plopped down in front of them. And now they're like, oh no, we've been in the presence of God. We're going to die. But as usual, the wife has a little more sense than the husband. And she says, now wait a minute. If God wanted us dead, he wouldn't have came down and said all this stuff to us. Let us give him an offering. He wouldn't have done all these things if he wanted us dead. And like a good husband, he probably said, you know, you're right, honey. You're so wise. This is why... I decided to be with you because without you, I'd be lost. <laughs> That's probably what I would have said, I think, if I was in that situation. But the thing is, is that God had a plan for Samson before he was ever born. Now, we, we hear about his, the, the wife is barren. She's had no children. She's not going to have any children. You know, so they understand that, that, that this is a miracle that's about to take play, place. So being that she's barren, this is, this is bef the, God had a plan for Samson even before, before they knew that he was coming. They certainly weren't thinking about having a kid because they understood that they were, they were barren. Samson was never thought about anybody else but God. And he says, you know what? I have a plan for him. I got, I'm going to do something through him. Before, the, before he was born, Samson was a miracle. Did you guys know that you're a miracle too? Every single person in this room you are completely unique. There's nobody that's ever been made just like you before. Nobody will ever been made just like you afterwards. Everything about you is unique. No one will look like you. Some of you are like, goodness, thank, thank goodness nobody's going to look like Pastor Wayne again. We just need one of him. And I understand that. I'm, I'm pretty good looking, and you guys are probably you couldn't handle two of me, I imagine, is what the, what the problem is. No one's going to think like you. No one's going to speak like you. God made you for a purpose and a, a plan and a purpose for your life. God has something for you to do that you were created for. And, and I know that I don't ever want to stand before God and, and have to wonder if somebody else did what God called me to do. 
I want to get up there and have him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And not just, well, done. I, I want to be up there and do what God wanted me to do. God created you with value and with a purpose. And I would encourage you to start pressing him in, into him and to find out what that is. Because the good news is if you talk to him, he'll tell you what it is. You may not like to hear it. I know when, when God told me I was going to be a pastor, I, I said, can we negotiate this? Can we, can we do something? You may not like to hear it, but God has a plan for your life. And the good thing about when God has a plan for your life, he makes a way for you to do it. You know, Moses said, how can I be a, a speaker and a leader of the people? I, I can't even speak right. And God says, I'll make a way. We look at all, I mean, we're going to talk about Gideon next week. And Gideon's, come, God comes down and says, you know, you mighty warrior. And it's like, do, do you know who you're talking to? <laughs> See, when God has a plan for your life, he's going to make a way for you to do it if you'll just press in and trust him. Amen. So anyway, God's got a plan for Samson and he's going to be a Nazarite. How many of you guys know what a, a, a Nazarite is? This is someone who has to stay away from the fruit of the vine. They can't get next to any, any drink, uh, uh, fermented drink. They refrain from cutting their hair. And they avoid contact with, with dead bodies. You can read about it in, in Numbers 6, 2 through 6. And uh, basically, th these are people that have been set apart for God. They've been consecrated or set apart. And, and they can't do any of these things. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that even his mother has to stay away from these things. He says, therefore, be, or verse 3, he says that you are, behold, you are barren and not uh, born. You should conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink or eat nothing unclean. This isn't for Samson yet. This is for her. She's not supposed to do that. You know what I find interesting when I read the Bible? How many know that modern science has let us know that, that if, uh, if whatever a mother eats and drinks during her pregnancy will affect the child? They know that if, you, that if you drink or you do drugs, it can have a negative or adverse effect on the children. They knew it already. The Bi it's amazing. You'll read the Bible all the time, stuff where you're like, you're like, they're like, we have a new scientific discovery. We found out. And I'm like, it already said it. The Bible already told us that. The, the, and there's stuff in the Bible. Like, how would they have known that except for God? Amen? And then we got Samson. Did you know that the, the Naz Nazarite vows were typically only for a short period of time? But for Samson, it was different. This was uh, normally the person gets to make the vow. This time, God made the vow for him. God said, this, this person, even the mother, can't, uh, has to maintain the vow. And then when he's born, he can't cut his... This is something that, that Samson was going to do for the rest of his life. And God is the one that chose it for him. How many know that, that God has chosen stuff for you in your life? And we're going to find out, just like Samson, you can either go with God, which I would recommend doing. It's usually a whole lot easier. You can do like Samson and keep trying to walk away from your vows and see stuff just end up a mess. So as we continue on in Judges 14, 1-4, we're going to start seeing Samson make that mess of his life. And he says in verse 14, uh, sorry, chapter 14, verse 1, Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Now we know that Samson's got a great call in our life because we have the benefit of knowing the rest of the story, right? We know what happens. We know that, that we've got a God, he's got a call in his life that he has basically supernatural strength that God has given him. 
We know that God is with him. And actually, even in the book of Hebrews, in verses, uh, Hebrews 11.32, he's labeled as one of the heroes of the faith. It says, And what more shall I say, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets. This is where the writer of Hebrews is talking about all the heroes of the faith. And they list Samson as one. Anybody else read the story of Samson? He may have been a, uh, uh, a man of faith. He may have been one of the heroes of the faith, but he certainly didn't live most of his life faithfully. At the beginning of the first story, so he's born. So we have, we have the, the angel of the Lord come and tells him that he's going to be born. Sometime between chapter 13 and 14, he's born. He grows up to be old enough to, to be an adult. And the first thing that we hear about him is, is, is ignoring his parents. He says, you know what, I like that, that, that Philistine woman. Go get her for me as a wife. And if you, if you have time to read through this, they're like, um, how about you find a wife among your own people? For a couple of reasons. Um, the Philistines were uncircumcised. They, they didn't serve the same God. They, 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 they were, the, the Bible says that they were actually supposed to, to get rid of the Philistines and not intermingle with them. That was actually a, a, a big deal that they weren't supposed to intermingle with people of other faiths of, of this land because it would start to cause problems in their own society. And he wants to marry this Philistine woman, which is contrary to, to God's law. And his parents are like, son, you don't want to do this. And the first thing he does is disrespect his parents. You know, the Bible says that honoring your father and mother is the, is the first promise with a, uh, uh, it's the first commandment with a promise attached to it. And what does he do? He begins to, he doesn't want to listen to his parents because he knows better as most kids do. My kids know better than me, which is always good. I go to them for advice now, which is faster. <laughs> so, but yeah, the, the, they're not to make covenants with the inhabitants of the land. And, you know, as Christians, I think that we should keep this story in mind as well. I mean, you know, the, the Bible says that we're not supposed to be unequally yoked. Because that's the problem that we have. When you, when you get unequally yoked with somebody, and what that means is if you're a Christian, you don't want to get involved with somebody with, that's not a Christian. Why? Is it because they're bad people? No, they're probably good people. But the problem is, is that at best, you have someone that's going to distract you from your walk with God. And at worst, you're going to have someone that's actually going to pull you away from your walk with God. We don't want to be unequally yoked. We want people to walk alongside of us serving the Lord, not someone who's going to, to pull us away. And that's basically what's happening here with Samson is he's not worried about what God thinks or what his parents think. He's being, he's being guided by his eyes. He's being guided by lust. All he sees is a pretty girl. And he wants to be with her. He's letting his heart lead him. Anybody ever heard, just follow your heart? Sometimes that's dumb advice. Your heart will get you into all kinds of stupid nonsense. Don't follow your heart. Follow the Word of God. Amen? If your heart aligns with the Word of God, go for it. But if it doesn't, ignore your heart. Because unfortunately, our heart sometimes gets influenced by hormones. And hormones make you stupid. <laughs> but now we have the situation here. If we continue reading on here, verse 3, But his father and mother said, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all your people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She is right in my eyes. Right? This was the disrespect. And then he says, His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. You see, we got Samson being a little, little dumb. He's doing his own thing. He thinks he knows better than God. We all look at this and go, man, that guy is crazy. But the thing is, we've all done that in our lives. We've all thought that we knew better than God. I've had 
flat out arguments with God. I've tried to explain how to do God to do things and, and thank God he doesn't listen to me. He's actually smarter than me. I don't know if you guys knew that. But uh, I, I would recommend listening to him. And, uh, but we see that God says, all right, Samson's, or Sam, uh, Samson's going to do dumb stuff. We're going to use that situation. The thing is, is that, that God did need a, a, a way to, to infiltrate the, the Philistines and begin to, to mess things up for them. But when I look at this, I wonder, had Samson been living faithfully his whole life, would it have come to this? Would he have had to go in this direction? Or would he just listen to God and do what he was supposed to do? So instead, God used a bad situation for his will to be accomplished. And that's the thing is that, that uh, the plan for Samson was to, to defeat the Philistines. You remember in the very beginning, he says that, uh, th- this child from the womb, he should begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. That was his whole plan and purpose was to save Israel. Except for Samson, he just wanted to, to, to play with the girls. <laughs> he thought he had it figured out. He knew what he wanted to do. But God said, you know what? Fine. You do what you want to do. I'm still going to use you. I'm going to find a way. But the problem is, is that instead of doing it in a good way, Samson's life has to get a little crazy and messed up. I wonder if it would have been different had he been faithful the whole time. You see, and I think that's why so many of us have to hit rock bottom before we finally cry out to God. God wants us to cry out when things are going good so we never have to hit the bottom, but so often we have to smack our head against the ground before we'll say, God, all right, maybe I was wrong. The worst part is is that even mature Christians fall into the same trap. We know better. And sometimes we have to get knocked down before we say, all right, God, let's do it your way. You see, I don't, I don't believe it that God is the one that causes you to hit rock bottom. I don't believe that it was God that caused Sam, Samson to sin. I think that's a misreading of that. But God will certainly use those situations to move in your life. Because God wants you to do, or God wants you to serve him. God wants to reach you. You know, take advantage of those situations because it's not the character of God to knock you down. It's not the character of God to make you. As a matter of fact, in the book of James, it says that God doesn't even tempt anybody, let alone cause them to sin. But God will use these situations to move in you and through you. I pray that you don't have to be laying sprawled out on the floor before you finally reach out to him. Amen. That's what these stories are here for. Do you know that's what the stories are in the Bible for so we can learn from them? So we don't have to make the same silly mistakes. How many of your parents have tried to tell your kids something? Because they, you don't want them to, to do the same mistakes that you went through. But for some reason, they think they've got to figure it out for themselves. How much easier would their life have been if they would have just listened and said, learn from my mistake, don't make the mistake yourself. The same is true for us. Then we go on a little bit further. Uh, Judges 14, 5 through 6. So we, we find out that he wants to, to, to marry this Philistine girl. And it says, Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, the young lion came toward him, roaring. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. I wouldn't imagine tearing up a young goat would be all that easy either. But... <laughs> So you remember when I mentioned that, that Samson was a Nazarite and uh, it was important because as he starts drifting away from this stuff, his, his life kind of gets messed up. And that's what happens when we're supposed to be serving God, but we end up walking away from him. As, as things, trouble start entering our life. And the interesting thing about this one is we got Samson, he's going down and, 
And he's, he's going down with his father and mother to Timnah. But then it says he doesn't tell his father and mother that he did it. So at some point, he walks away. He gets off the main road with his, his mother and father and heads to this vineyard. Anybody see the problem with that? He's a Nazarite. He's not even supposed to be next to the fruit of the vine. He's, he's not supposed to be near this stuff. So he wants to see how close he can toe the line. A lot of Christians do that too. They want to see how close they can get to sin without actually touching it. But the problem is, is it real quick? It's, it's real quick to step over the line. So the, the vineyard is no place for a Nazarite to be. He shouldn't be there. This is, he's getting involved with stuff that he shouldn't be near. Now, is going in a vineyard uh, sin for him? I'm not 100% sure. That I know that he's not supposed to have fermented drink, and that's the whole purpose of these vineyards is to begin to, to make that stuff. So maybe he's just toeing the line. He's not quite there yet. But what happens when he gets close to toeing the line? A lion jumps out of nowhere. Now, the thing that's interesting about this is that God is still there for him. He's, he's in the vine, vineyard. Lion jumps out, getting ready to kill him. It says the Spirit of the Lord goes ahead and, and, uh, and rushed upon him, and he kills the lion. And that's where we, first, we start to see these, this, this picture of Samson's strength. But you know what? If he would have never went to the vineyard, he wouldn't have had to defend himself from a lion. You see, he, he's towing the line. How close can I get? How close can I get without breaking the vow? See, Christians, we do that too. How close can we get? I'm not, I'm not sinning yet. How close can we get? Oh, we're, we're not supposed to, to, to sleep together before we get married. But, I mean, if we, if we live together, we're not sleeping together. I mean, how close can I get? Well, kissing's not a sin. Only sleeping. How close can I get? The problem is, the closer you get, stuff jumps out you like lions. And the problem is, is all too often, we don't, we don't receive that help from the Lord to help us get out of that situation, and we cross the line. Remember I said hormones make you stupid, particularly in that situation. I, I would encourage you, if you're not married yet, don't be kissing somebody before you get married because hormones make you do stupid. They make you do stuff that you never... And then afterwards, you, 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 you feel all guilty, and you wonder why did this happen? You, you saw how close to the line you could get. You see, that's why these stories are in here is to help us grow, to help us learn. Even in, but, but the good news is, and I want to encourage you, if, that, if you're somewhere like that in your life, is one that, that God doesn't leave us nor forsake us every time we make a mistake. God is still there with him. He put himself in the situation. Had he never went towards the vineyard, somewhere he was not supposed to be, no lion would have showed up and God wouldn't have needed to rescue him. But God was still there, even in his stupidity, even in his dumb choices that he made. And I thank God that God has been with me with every dumb choice that I have made because Lord knows I have made plenty of them, most of which I'm not going to tell you about because it's none of your business. <laughs> but God has always been there for me. He's never left me. He's never forsaken me. Samson is on his way to get a wife, which is out of God's will, heading to a vineyard, which is out of God's will for him. But don't think that God can't use you mightily even when you're messing up. Don't ever let your mistakes disqualify you from what God wants you to do. Now, I'm not saying it's okay to stay where, stay where you are. Just because God can use you doesn't mean he, he, you should want Him to use you where you're at. Get out of where you're at. Start serving Him. Press into Him. Think how much God could use you if you were walking with Him instead of if He had to, 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 to fight against you every step of the way. 
But on the other hand, if you have made mistakes, if you had fails, don't ever think that God can't use you because God can still use you. I mean, we look at this story, people talk about it, uh, even, even people that aren't Christians know who Samson is. They're still talking about what he did. So don't stay where you're at. I'm not saying it's, it's a reason to, to stay in sin or stay getting as close as you can to the line. But I am saying that if you have failed, if you have messed up, then it doesn't mean God can't use you. Amen? But then we have Samson because he... one, So he gets close to the vineyard and a lion comes out of nowhere. How many know that, that most of us... Nah, that's not true. We all we all be just like him. This should have been the point where he said, I open her, maybe I shouldn't be here. Maybe I should take a step back and reevaluate how things are going because I'm getting into situations that I shouldn't be in. But that's not what happens with him, much like it's not what happens with most of us because we all want to learn ourselves instead of learning from somebody else's mistakes. But in, in Judges 14, 8-9, it says, After some days he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. He scraped it out into his hands, and he went on eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave some to them, and they ate, but he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. So his, his walking away from his vows doesn't stop there, right? So he's a Nazarite. He has certain things that he's not supposed to be doing. So what's he do? He, he doesn't learn from the last mistake. He's heading back a few days later. Note that it's a few days later. And he heads right back towards the vineyard because he didn't learn a thing the last time. And then he starts eating honey that was being created in a hive that was in a dead lion's carcass. Now there's a couple problems with this situation. One, He's a Nazarite. He's not supposed to be near dead bodies. He's not supposed to touch dead bodies. That's part of his, his vow of a Nazarite. Right? No, no alcohol. No dead bodies. No cutting his hair. But the other part that I don't... Like, walking down the road, sees a three-day-old stinking, rotten carcass, and there's honey oozing out of it, and he's like, that looks good. I think I'll have a taste. That's just gross. I mean, what did that body have to smell like? If it, it, this wasn't like a couple minutes later. This is after some days. As I was growing up, my mom said a couple was two, a few was three or more. I don't know what some is, <laughs> but it's been a while. What do you think that lion smelled like? And he was like, hmm. <laughs> Let me go see what's going on over there. And he gets, he digs into the honey. That just grosses me out. I'm, I'm being honest. I mean, maybe you guys don't read this stuff the same way I do, but I'm trying to imagine what's going on here. And this is gross. But he presses it anyway, right? He's already saw how close to the line he could get. Well, I've already been in the vineyard. I mean, what, what's a little bit further? And he ends up fooling around with this dead lion's carcass and he pulls some honey out. But if that isn't enough... He takes some with him. Says, hey, Ma, Dad, try some of this. But he doesn't tell him where he gets it, right? He says that he went and he gave it to his parents, father and mother, but he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of a lion. Why do you guys think he didn't tell them? He didn't want them to know. Did you know that that's what happens when we start living in sin and doing stuff we're not supposed to be doing? 
We don't like to tell anybody about it. And even worse than not telling them about it, he drugs somebody down with them. He's like, you know what? I'm already messing up. I don't want to be the only one. Maybe if I get my parents to, to sin alongside me and there's three of us, then God will spread out the, the, the punishment. See, that's what happens. You ever heard the expression, misery loves company? So that, that's what I think he's got going on here. He didn't tell him, he didn't tell his parents, one, because it's gross. And two, because they would recognize that, that, that even for them as Jews, that would have made them unclean, ceremonially unclean to, to be near a dead body. Now, it's worse for Samson because he had made a vow to be set apart from the, from, from the Lord, but even for his parents, it was a bad thing, and he doesn't tell them. He drugs somebody down with them. He tries to hide his sin from them, but even worse, he tries to, to get somebody to come along right side with him. You know what? We need to make sure that we're not the ones dragging other people alongside with us. If, you, if we're sinning, oh, make sure that you're not pulling somebody with us. You know, that's how a, a morally defunct culture is growing like wildfire right now in our country. Because everybody that's, that's in sin is like, well, if I can get other people to, to join along with me, then if we get enough of us, we can all just say it's okay. If we get enough of us doing it, we can all just say, oh, oh no, it's not sin, it's, it's good. It's, this is what we want. But by everybody agreeing that sin is good doesn't make it any less sin. It doesn't matter. See, that's the thing about morality is it's, it's not subjective. It's objective. It was put in place by God. It doesn't matter how many of us agree to live contrary to it. It doesn't make it any more right. And that's what happens is, is we think that if we get a, a few more people doing it with us, then maybe it won't be as bad. And I think that's what's happening here. But I would encourage you, let's learn from Samson. Let's not be the same people. Let's not, not be the people. Because some of you guys have had this in your own lives, right? You have friends that, 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 that uh, oh, just come out and, and, and have some drinks with us. Or maybe you're, you're, you're the Christian that's with the non-Christian. It's like, oh, no, it's okay. Just come stay over my We won't do anything. And we see how close to the line that we can get. We don't want to be drugged down with anybody else. And just because other people are doing it doesn't make it okay. And then the story gets worse for old Samson. And we all know about Delilah. Oh, Delilah. Judges 16, 4 through 6. Now this is where Samson, like, I'm relating with Samson for the most part, but now Samson, I just don't get what's going through this guy's head at this point. Anyway, after this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to humble him and we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. So Samson falls in love again with, uh, well, they're not sure. Uh, the, the word Delilah could also uh, uh, may not have been her actual name. It could represent that she was a, a temple prostitute that was up there. So she's likely a prostitute, most uh, scholars say. They also don't even know for sure she's a Philistine because the Philistine lords came to her, but she might not have been a Philistine. But what we do know for sure is that she wasn't in the will of God. And Samson wants to get mess, mess, ta entangled in that. And Samson, she must have been beautiful. That's all I can think. 
I mean, she just must have been gorgeous. And like I said, hormones make you stupid. And now this guy is just smitten and all sense has left his body. All common sense, all, all everything. And I can, I can relate a little bit because I've had that happen to me. And I get stupid when, when hormones get going. I remember when I was younger, I wanted to do the right thing. I wanted, but I, I, I saw how close to the line I could get. And unfortunately, I crossed it many more times than I'd care to admit. Now, thank God that I serve a good God, and, and that's my past. That's not who I am now. I've been set free from that. I've been redeemed. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't cause scars in your life. It doesn't mean that it doesn't cause hurt. We can be forgiven, but still have consequences to our actions. But Samson, he gets with this girl, and she says, well, tell me how you're so strong. Now, he's got a little bit of sense left because he's not going to give her the real thing. And the first thing he says is, if you'll, if you'll tie me up with some brand new bowstrings, then it'll make me as weak as every other man. Tie me up with some fresh bowstrings. They go to bed that night, and lo and behold, he wakes up tied up in bowstrings. He's probably thinking, well, this is a coincidence, right? <laughs> so anyway, if that wasn't enough to start making him think he's like all right who did i tell about this oh it's delilah now i'm t- well that's weird i'm tied up but then she gets mad at him she says oh you're making a mockery of me you lied to me and didn't tell me the truth so he's like okay 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 if you tie me up with some fresh brand new ropes then i'll be as weak as any other man he goes to bed that night how many guess what happened that night he wakes up to her yelling samson the philistines are upon you and he's tied up in some new ropes he breaks up snaps them apart and wouldn't you know, she gets mad again. You lied to me again. Now, Samson, start using your noodle. Start thinking about... But, no, she gets mad. She must be gorgeous because he's willing to just do whatever. And uh, he says, fine. I'll go. Do, uh, what you have to do... Now, think about this as if this was really your kryptonite. What you have to do is take my hair... The, the seven locks of my hair and weave it into some fabric in your loom. That'll make me weak. Then you pin it down, that'll make me weak. I mean, if that was really your kryptonite, you're pretty much safe. That should almost never happen unless you get with Delilah. So anyway, he tells her this. What do you guess happened that night? Now, I don't know how, you must have been a hard sleeper because she's playing with his hair. She's weaving it into the loom. <laughs> she's getting it all together. Do you guys not read the Bible the same way I do? I think about this stuff. This is some strange situation. I wonder how the story went. So anyway, she does all that. She pins it down. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He gets up. It just tears the loom apart. Apparently even his hair is strong. And and, uh, she gets mad again. No, this is three times. Samson, like you ever watched a movie? My wife will do this. We're watching a movie, and she's like yelling out to the people on the screen because they're about to get hurt. That's what I'm doing. Samson, stop it. It's Delilah. Samson, it's Delilah. But finally, she, she just keeps complaining that he's a, he's a big liar. I don't know why he didn't say, but you just tried to have me killed three times. So finally, he says, fine. This is what you got to do. You got to shave off my head. So lo and behold, the last part of his Nazarite vow that he hasn't broken is about to be broken. Cuts off his hair and he gets subdued. Matter of fact, they capture him. They pluck out his eyes. See, how many of you know that 
there are consequences to the decisions that we make. And he made a decision to walk away from the last of his vows, and it cost him dearly. There's a couple lessons that we can learn from this. If your woman is setting you up over and over and over again, you need to walk away. Some women aren't good for you. <laughs> Guys, you need to hear me. On the, on the other side of that, if, uh, women, if you have a guy that's doing the same thing to you, don't do it to, after the first, you know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Yeah, uh, you need to, to, to get away. Things aren't looking good. But we also see that there are consequences to the decisions that we make. And Samson paid dearly for this one. They capture him. They pluck out his eyes. And they torture him. They mock him. And it seems like all is lost. It seems like he, he finally made that last mistake where God left him. Now we have the, the benefit of hindsight at this point. We know that's not the end of the story. In Judges 16, 28-30, it says, Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistine for my two years. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them in his right hand and the one in his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it, so the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. You see, if you stopped before the end, you would think that he messed up so bad God could never use him again. But that's the thing, is that you can't mess up that bad. I mean, that's good news. It doesn't matter how far you've fallen. It doesn't matter how much you've done. God can still use you. God still cares about you. God still loves you. So what happens here is Samson gets paraded between all the, uh, in front of all the Philistine lords. To, they're, they're having a, a feast or a celebration to their god, uh, Dagon, and they're, they're praising him, saying, you've given us victory over Samson. Which is interesting, because <laughs> of what's about to happen. But Samson cries out one more time to God. He says, Lord, just one more time. You see, that's the thing, is if you'll turn back towards God, God is right there waiting for you. It says he's at the door, knocking, waiting for you to answer. You see, the thing is, when we feel far from God, it's not because God has left us, it's because we've left him. And he comes back and says, God, if you'll just do it one more time. And God says, I never left, but let's do this. And in Samson's death, now I pray to God that you wouldn't have to give up your life to serve God one more time. But how many know there are those who do? There are, there are men and women of Christ that every single day are being persecuted. They are giving their life as martyrs, even right now. You guys may not know this, but worldwide, not in the United States, if we just look at the United States, but worldwide, Christians are the most persecuted people group in all of the world by far. Nobody else even comes close. The most persecuted people group is people They're giving their lives every day to serve God. Now I pray that that's not what is called upon any of you in this room. I pray that, that for God to use you one more time that you don't have to give your life, but I still think the principle is true that if we'll go back towards God, God will use us again. If you've fallen, get back up. Don't stay down. Samson could have stayed down. He could have stayed there and accepted the ridicule, but instead he said, God, work through me one more time. 
And it was the greatest success that he had ever had was after he had fallen farther than he could ever imagine that he could have fallen. Church, it doesn't matter how far you've fallen. You can still be mighty for God. Amen? Don't give up. God is still there. He's waiting for you to call out to him. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our head.